Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. It's Habakkuk chapter 2, beginning to read at verse 2. Then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets, so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end, and it will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, he is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous will live by his faith. Indeed, wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest. Because he is as greedy as the grave and like death is never satisfied, he gathers to himself all the nations and takes captive all the peoples. Will not all of them taunt him with ridicule and scorn, saying, Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? Will not your debtors suddenly arise? Will they not wake up and make you tremble? Then you'll become their victim. Because you have plundered many nations, the peoples who are left will plunder you. For you have shed man's blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Woe to him who builds his realm by unjust gain to set his nest on high, to escape the clutches of ruin. You have plotted the ruin of many peoples, shaming your own house and forfeiting your life. The stones of the wall will cry out and the beams of the woodwork will echo it. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by crime. Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labour is only fuel for the fire, that the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbours, pouring it from the wineskin till they are drunk so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. You will be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it is your turn. Drink and be exposed. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming round to you and disgrace will cover your glory. The violence you have done to Lebanon will overwhelm you and your destruction of animals will terrify you for you have shed man's blood and you have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Of what value is an idol since a man has carved it or an image that teaches lies? For he who makes it trusts his own creation. He makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life or to lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? It is covered with gold and silver. There is no breath in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. The second reading is taken from Hebrews. It's chapter 10. And we're going to read from verse 32, and that can be found on page 1208.
Hebrews chapter 10, beginning to read at verse 32. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. Uh, well, I've been reading this week uh, about uh, a judge from the USA called Michael Sicanetti, who has become quite famous uh, in the US for his creative approach to criminal justice. Uh, he retired just last year after a lengthy um, career uh, on, the, uh, on the bench, and um, he was famous for handing down sentences that fit the crime as closely as possible. Uh, so famously, a woman who um, was caught having abandoned 35 kittens uh, in the woods in a box uh, was made to spend a night alone sleeping in a box in the woods. Uh, a man who committed a, a relatively minor traffic offence but did it while shouting, you pigs, at the police was made to stand on a street corner for a day with a 350-pound pig and a sign saying this is not a police officer. <laughs> Listen, we long for justice, don't we? The desire for justice is one of our most fundamental longings. There's something about a just judge who hands out punishments that fits the crime that, that make us want to cheer inside. You know, whether it's, um, whether it's children on the playground saying that's not fair, or people on sports pitches up and down the country going, referee! Or more seriously, uh, the headlines with things like the Me Too movement crying out for justice in the face of powerful abusers. We, we long for justice to be done. We hate to see people get off scot-free when they've done something serious. We long for justice and hate injustice. Now, I don't know what your situation is here this evening, but I guess most of us would relate to some situation at some point in our lives when we just wanted to see justice done and we felt weighed down by the weight of injustice and wrong. And the issue of injustice is at the heart of the book of Habakkuk that we're looking at. Uh, we started last Sunday, three weeks we're spending looking at it on Sunday evenings. And, um, and as this Old Testament prophet writing in probably roughly the 7th century BC, looks at the world. He has two great problems. Firstly, he sees evil and injustice in the world. 
He says he even sees it among God's people who are meant to be different. He says in chapter one, how long, Lord? Why must you make me look at injustice? So his first problem is that he sees evil in the world. But his second problem is that God does not seem to be dealing with the problem of injustice in the world. In Habakkuk 1, when he he prays to the Lord and says, do something about the injustice, the Lord answers and says that he's sending the great and terrifying nation of Babylon to bring justice on his people. And Habakkuk is left praying to the Lord, why are you doing that? See, either the Lord seems to be doing nothing about it, or he doesn't seem to be acting in the right way. Surely in that case, the, the, the treatment is worse than the disease sending the terrible Babylonians. And so as we come to Habakkuk chapter 2, the question is one of injustice. Lord, how long? Lord, why? Lord, what will you do about the injustice of our world? And of course, our hearts, they they long for justice. And here in Habakkuk chapter 2, the good news is that the Lord God says, he will deal with evil once and for all that there will be a day of justice and of restoration. There will be a day when every injustice is dealt with. Very striking in this chapter, the Lord doesn't answer Habakkuk's why question, but answers the when question, one day, one day. Let's look at it together. Uh, The passage begins with an introduction, and I've called the introduction, Listen Up. Have a look down at verse 2 with me. Uh, Then the Lord replied... Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and it will not prove false. I can still remember the teacher saying to my whole class before our exams, before we were due to go off on study leave, I want you to write down what I'm about to tell you. And I want you to read it again when you get home. And I want you to remember it when you come to your exams. And he wrote down on the board, always read the question carefully. And I think probably my A-levels would have been different if I had paid more attention to that. But there's some free advice for you in the youth group. Always read the question carefully. But that's the nature of this introduction here. The Lord says to Habakkuk, look, get your pen out. I don't know if you're a sermon note taker or not, but the Lord says to Habakkuk, get your pen and write down these words and remember them and spread the news because God is going to tell Habakkuk what will happen in the future at the end. And it's not a message that will be believed by the majority, but it is a life-changing one. Verse 4, see, he's puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous one will live by his faith. You see, this, this message from God, this promise, is one that will be countercultural. Uh, there's, a point, um, there's a point in the Andes, I'm told, where when rain falls, if it falls just a few centimeters to one side, then it washes down one side of the mountain and ends up in the Pacific. But just a few centimeters to the other side, and it goes down 
and eventually ends up in the Amazon and then out in the Atlantic, just a few centimeters apart, and yet that rainfall ends up thousands of miles apart when it ends up in the water. And this, this message from the Lord is going to have something of that character. Just a few will believe it, while many are puffed up and live for themselves with desires that are not upright. But the outcome will be huge and pronounced. I want to come back to the details of verse 4 at the end. But you see the character of this introduction. It's as if the Lord says to Habakkuk, listen up, get this down in your notes, and never forget it. And here is what he says, the promise. And the promise, very simply, is that God will bring justice and a better world. God will bring justice and a better world in the end. See, in in the rest of this chapter, from verse 6 to 20, uh, there are five woes. Uh, It's a kind of song taunting Babylon with the fact that the Lord is going to turn the tables against all human evil. Five hammer blows against the arrogance and injustice of Babylon. Uh, Firstly, the Lord is going to take on and deal with selfish greed in verses 6 to 8. Just look again at verse 6. Will not all of them taunt him with ridicule and scorn, saying, Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? The Babylonians had made themselves incredibly wealthy through exploiting others. Through invasion and exploitation, they'd filled their treasury. And when we see that kind of selfish greed that hurts others, doesn't it make us cry out for justice? I think of a friend of mine with um, learning difficulties who was fleeced for several thousand pounds of his savings by an unscrupulous con man, and it makes us cry out for justice. We want something to be done, and we see in verse 7 that God is a God of justice. Will not your debtors suddenly arise? Will they not wake up and make you tremble? Then you will become their victim. Because you've plundered many nations, the peoples who are left will plunder you. Do you see, there will be perfect justice, said the Lord. So the Lord says there will be a day when the tables are turned and the punishment fits the crime for the selfish greed of Babylon. Uh, The Lord will take on their false security in verses 9 to 11. Have a look at verse 9. Woe to him who builds his realm by unjust gain, to set his nest on high, to escape the clutches of ruin. Uh, This is the image of um, Babylon, a bit like a kind of Bond villain, you know, in their hollowed out volcano lair on a faraway island where no one can get to them, telling themselves that they're safe and secure because of what they've built for themselves. Uh, One ancient historian tells us that um, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, had the walls of his capital city built 80 feet thick so that he could tell himself he was secure. And every one of those bricks had his name etched upon it to tell himself he was secure. And yet the Lord says, 
that for the one who opposes him, there'll be no security because verse 11, the stones of the wall will cry out and the beams of the woodwork will echo it. You ever heard that sound as a building is demolished and the sound of the walls falling down? Well, the Lord pictures that like the walls crying out injustice against Babylon. You see, God is a God who is in control of his world. And so he says there will be no safety in the might is right of Babylon. And then the Lord will turn the tables on violent ambition in verses 12 to 14. Woe to him, verse 12, who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by crime. The Babylonians had made it their mission to destroy city after city and replace them with their own cities. And of course, the cost was human life. And the Lord says that he will hold violence accountable. Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire? The nations will exhaust themselves for nothing. You see, for all of the ambition of Babylon, all the suffering that was caused by their name wanting to be great, the Lord says it'll come to nothing and their efforts will be burned up and wasted. And of course, we know it's true, don't we? Because um, who's talking about Babylon now, apart from Fullwood Church on this Sunday evening? You know, you can go to the British Museum and you can see some of the exhibits, but they're hardly in the news, are they? Their name pulled down. Their ambition that cost people so much come to nothing. And here's a tonic for weary believers. Verse 14, the reason is because the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. sea. You see, the Lord says that he has a purpose. He has a plan that on the other side of this great judgment, there'll be a new world, a renewed world, filled with the knowledge of his name. No longer will proud tin pot dictators raise up their name. No longer will arrogant people exalt themselves, but God's name will be known throughout the world. Maybe you've been on a ferry uh, in the middle of of the sea, and you look out all around you, you see the sea. And that's the image here. As the waters cover the sea, the whole world covered with the knowledge of the Lord, as far as the eye can see in every direction. You know, there will be a time when the Lord turns the tables and those who pull down the name of the Lord and his people to raise up themselves will be brought low. And in this new world, God will be known and loved and praised. Is that not a tonic? weary believers. And so the Lord will turn the tables on violent ambition. Uh, Fourthly, the Lord will turn the tables on the abuse of power. Uh, Verse 15, woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it from the wineskin till they're drunk so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. Uh, This is grim stuff really. 
but the Babylonians were uh, famous for abusing those they captured, uh, getting them drunk, and then abusing and humiliating them terribly. And the Lord says there'll be justice. Verse 16, you will be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it's your turn. Drink and be exposed. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming round to you, and disgrace will cover your glory. Now the Old Testament prophets describe a cup of the Lord's very great anger at the sin of the world. It's a metaphor for his perfect justice against all of the abuse and all of the evil and all of the selfishness and all the wrongdoing. And you see what the Lord says here? He says, you've been handing other people the cup to drug them and humiliate them. Well, on that day, there will be a cup for you to drink, the cup of the Lord's very great anger at the sins of the world. And so when we look at the abuse of power in the world, when we read about things that make our, our stomachs turn at the wickedness of them, the Lord says there will be a day and a cup and justice. And then finally, the Lord will bring justice against personal spirituality against an idolatry that invents God in its own image. Verse 18, of what value is an idol since a man has carved it or an image that teaches lies? For he who makes it trusts in his own creation. He makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life, or to a lifeless stone, wake up. The Lord will hold accountable... Babylon for reinventing God in their own image, for taking created things and saying, this is God, I've made it, and I'm going to rely on this instead of trusting God and listening to his words. And these verses kind of expose some of the foolishness of that, don't they? That an idol can't talk, it can't help you. You, know, you may as well talk to this pulpit and say, um, pulpit, what should I do? Be my God, lead me. And yet God says to those who've chosen to listen to things of their own choosing and making instead of God, there'll come a day of justice because verse 20, the Lord is in his holy temple, on his throne. Let all the earth be silent before him. The silence of the guilty person in the dock with no excuse and no answer. And these are sobering words from the Lord, these five hammer blows against the arrogance and injustice of Babylon. And, that, and yet they are good news, aren't they? You, you, don't we want justice in the world? When we see evil, when we see violence and abuse, don't we want something to be done? And the Lord says he has a day when justice will be done. You know, when we feel weighed down by the things we see in the news, another headline, 
another conversation with a friend who's really up against it. We long for there to be justice and a turning of the tables. And the Lord says, I will have a day when it will take place. See, the heart of Habakkuk 2 is that the Lord is a just God, a good God, a powerful God. And though there'll be a delay, though we'll need to wait for it, though we won't see it right away, one day we will see his justice in the world. One day all wrongs will be righted and the word will be restored to the beauty that it should be. And so how should we respond to this prophecy, to this promise that God makes about the future and about the day of his justice and restoration? Well, I guess one response, one response would be to sort of point the finger or to look down our noses at the, um, the world out there and to, um, and, to, and to be longing for that day of justice and thinking, yeah, actually, you know, I, my neighbor, my, my neighbor's actually delightful. Okay, I, I, there's, there's a lovely member of this church family who lives next door to me, so let me clear up, let me clear up that at this point. But, but, but it's very easy to go through life pointing the finger and saying, yes, but, you know, I can't wait for that person for the wrongs to be righted and for justice to come and for the knowledge of the glory of the Lord to fill the earth. But of course, I I don't think we can quite so easily do that. Because even as we look at this list, I, I guess that, I guess that most of us wouldn't say that we're Babylonian bad. And yet there are plenty of things on this list that point the finger right back at us, aren't there? I can think of times when I've been selfish in my desire for gain and not cared about others. Times when I've trusted for safety things other than the Lord God. Times when I've been ambitious at cost to others. And and even if we do let ourselves off the first four, How many of us could honestly say that we've loved the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind and never reinvented God in a more convenient package to ourselves and have that kind of personal spirituality that depends on ourselves and the things we've made? And so you see, it's a big deal, the day of God's justice and restoration And yet Jesus said in Mark 14 that he had come to drink the cup of God's very great anger at the sins of the world in our place for us. And so you see, as we hear this promise of God's justice and judgment, as Christian people, we can only hear it trusting in the Lord Jesus to be the one who will drink the cup one who has drunk the cup for us on the cross in our place. I guess another response to this promise about the future might be to say, surely not. Can you really 
you really believe this, that God is going to come and bring justice to our world? Isn't it too good to be true? Maybe it sounds too awful to be true to you. Well, let me give you two things to consider. First of all, God's justice on Babylon has already come. See, just as God said that Babylon would be brought low, in 536 BC, Babylon was brought low as it was taken over by the Persian Empire. And so we've already seen in a small way that God is good for this promise. But if that doesn't, if that doesn't convince you, consider this. The New Testament says that when God raised Jesus from the dead, one of the reasons he did that was to demonstrate that Jesus would be the one who would come and hold the world accountable. And so you see, if we find this promise difficult to believe, I guess I would appeal to you to look into the evidence for the resurrection, because if Jesus rose from the dead, you can be certain that God will turn the tables and bring justice where we see injustice. You can be sure of it. And so how should we respond? Well, verse 4, write it on the tablet. Get it on your handout if you're a scribbler. Write this down. Read it again later and remember it. The righteous will live by his faith. The righteous will live by his faith. Now, there's a little bit of um, debate in this verse about whether it should be translated faith or faithfulness. So if you've got one of the church Bibles, it says faith there, but it may be that you've brought your own Bible from home and it says faithfulness. Um, I don't think it matters very much which of those translations you go for, because if you think about it, for the one who's right with God to live by faith in this context is to live believing this promise that God will bring justice and restore his world. And to live by faithfulness is to live faithfully waiting for God to keep that promise. And you see, there's actually not much difference between the two. And so relax, whichever Bible you've got with you, relax. The righteous will live by his faith or his faithfulness. See, the point here is that in a world full of injustice, of, um, of arrogant pride in verse 4, of, um, of sinful desires uh, in, a world, in a world full of greed and, uh, and suffering and, uh, and things that make us cry, how long, O Lord? The one who's right with God will trust God's promise that one day he will fix things, that he will bring justice and restore his world to the beauty that we long for. The one who's right with God will take God at his word when he says this and build their life on his promises. Uh, it won't be a popular position. If you look at verses four and five, you can see it almost visually. The righteous living, trusting God, surrounded by those who oppose him. And yet this is what he'll do. Trust God 
trust God's words, even as we look at the evidence of our eyes, even as we feel weighed down by injustice in the world, we'll hold on to that promise and look forward to that day when God will fix all that is broken, right all that is wrong, and turn the tables on all that is evil and go through our lives holding on to his words, listening to them, believing them, wanting to live them out in faithfulness. In fact, this is the point that um, Hebrews 10 makes. In Hebrews 10, the writer um, turns to the, the people he's writing to and says, look, you've experienced all kinds of persecution, and there's a great temptation for you to just fade away from God, to just, um, to just amble off and, uh, and leave his promises behind. Uh, and the writer says, don't do it. Hold on. Uh, quotes this verse, the righteous will live by faith. Keep trusting in the promise of the God who will restore our world and will bring justice in the end. And look to Jesus, who proves that that is the case by his death and his resurrection. And so this evening, um, pen in hand, write it down, remember it, never forget, the righteous will live by his faith. Let me pray as I close. Our sovereign Lord and loving Father, we pray that in every circumstance that we face, uh, when we see injustice before our eyes, uh, when we feel weighed down by evil in the world, when we face persecution and opposition in our lives, and when we find ourselves crying out, why and how long, Lord? Show us again your promises that you will fix our world and teach us again to trust them, to live by faith. In Jesus' name, amen.